Section 15 of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coderlo de la Clos. Section 15. Letter 71 to 75. <sighs> my idiot of a chasseur has left my desk in paris my fair one's letters those of danceny to the little volange all have remained behind and i have need of all he is going off to repair his stupidity and whilst he is saddling his horse i will tell you my night's story for i beg you to believe i do not waste my time the adventure in itself is but a small thing a réchauffé with the vicomtesse de m but it interested me in its details i am delighted moreover to let you see that if i have a talent for ruining women i have none the less when i wish it that of saving them the most difficult course or the merriest is the one i choose and i never reproach myself for a good action provided that it has kept me in practice or amused me i found the vicomtesse here and as she joined her entreaties to the persecutions with which they would make me pass the night at the chateau well i consent i said to her on condition that i pass it with you that is impossible she answered Fressac is here so far i had but meant to say the polite thing to her but the word impossible revolted me as usual i felt humiliated at being sacrificed to Fressac and i resolved not to suffer it i insisted therefore circumstances were not favourable to me this Fressac had been awkward enough to give offence to the vicomte so much so that the vicomtesse can no longer receive him at home and this visit to the good comtesse had been arranged between them in order to try and snatch a few nights the vicomte had at first even shown signs of ill-humour at meeting Vressac there but as his love of sport is even stronger than his jealousy he stayed none the less and the comtesse always the same as you know her after lodging the wife in the great corridor put the husband on one side and the lover on the other and left them to arrange things amongst themselves the evil destiny of both willed that i should be housed opposite them that very day that is to say yesterday Bressac, who as you will well believe cajoles the vicomte went out shooting with him in spite of his distaste for sport and quite counted on consoling himself at night in the wife's arms for the ennui which the husband caused him all day 
but i judged that he would have need of repose and busied myself with the means of persuading his mistress to give him the time to take it her i succeeded and persuaded her to pick a quarrel with him concerning that very same shooting-party to which very obviously he had only consented for her sake she could not have chosen a more sorry pretext but no woman is better endowed than the vicomtesse with that talent common to all women of putting ill-humour in the place of reason and of being never so difficult to appease as when she is in the wrong neither was the moment convenient for explanations and as i only wished her for one night i consented to their reconciliation on the morrow <laughs> Fressac was greeted sullenly on his return he sought to demand the cause he was abused he tried to justify himself the husband who was present served for a pretext to break off the conversation finally he attempted to take advantage of a moment when the husband was absent to ask that she would be kind enough to listen to him that night it was then that the vicomtesse became sublime she declaimed against the audacity of men who because they have experienced a woman's favours suppose they have the right to abuse her even when she has cause of complaint against him <laughs> and having thus skilfully changed the issue she talked sentiment and delicacy so well that Vressac grew dumb and confused and i myself was tempted to believe that she was right for you must know that as a friend of both of them i made a third at this conversation in the end she declared positively that she would not add the fatigues of love to those of the chase and that she would reproach herself were she to disturb such sweet pleasures the husband returned the disconsolate Vressac, who was no longer at liberty to reply addressed himself to me and having at great length expounded his reasons which i knew as well as he he begged me to speak to the vicomtesse and i promised him to do so i spoke to her in effect but it was in order to thank her and to arrange the hour and manner of our rendezvous she told me that situated as she was between her husband and her lover she had thought it more prudent to go to Vressac than to receive him in her apartment and that since i was placed opposite her she thought it was safer also to come to me that she would repair to my room as soon as her waiting-maid had left her alone that i had only to leave my door ajar and await her everything was carried out as we had arranged and she came to my room about one o'clock in the morning dans le simple appareil d'une beauté qu'on vient d'arracher au sommeil note racine britannicus 
in just such plain array as beauty wears when fresh from slumber's sway hmm. as i am quite without vanity i will not go into the details of the night but you know me and i was satisfied with myself at daybreak we had to separate it is here that the interest begins the imprudent woman had thought to have left her door ajar we found it shut and the key was left inside you have no idea of the expression of despair with which the vicomtesse said to me at once oh, i am lost you must admit it would have been amusing to have left her in this situation but could i suffer a woman to be ruined for me who had not been ruined by me and should i like the commonalty of men let myself be overcome by circumstances a method had to be found therefore what would you have done my fair friend hear what was my conduct it was successful i soon realized that the door in question could be burst in on condition that one made a mighty amount of noise i persuaded the vicomtesse therefore not without difficulty to utter some piercing cries of terror such as thieves murder etc etc and we arranged that at the first cry i should break in the door and she should rush to her bed you would not believe how much time it needed to decide her even after she had consented however it had to be done that way and at my first kick the door yielded the vicomtesse did well not to lose time for at the same instant the vicomte and Vressac were in the corridor and the waiting-maid had also run up to her mistress's chamber i alone kept my coolness and i profited by it to go and extinguish a night-light which still burned for you can imagine how ridiculous it would have been to feign this panic terror with a light in one's room i then took husband and lover to task for their sluggish sleep assuring them that the cries at which i had run up and my efforts to burst open the door had lasted at least five minutes the vicomtesse who had regained her courage in bed seconded me well enough and swore by all her gods that there had been a thief in her chamber she protested with all the more sincerity in that she had never had such a fright in her life hmm, we searched everywhere and found nothing when i pointed to the overturned night-light and concluded that without a doubt a rat had caused the damage and the alarm my opinion was accepted unanimously and after some well-worn pleasantries on the subject of rats 
the vicomte was the first to regain his chamber and his bed praying his wife for the future to keep her rats quieter <laughs> Fressac, who was left alone with us approached the vicomtesse to tell her tenderly that it was a vengeance of love to which she answered glancing at me he was indeed angry then for he has taken ample vengeance but she added i am exhausted with fatigue and i want to sleep i was in a good-humoured moment consequently before we separated i pleaded Vressac's cause and effected a reconciliation the two lovers embraced and i in my turn was embraced by both i had no more relish for the kisses of the vicomtesse but i confess that Vressac's pleased me we went out together and after i had accepted his lengthy thanks we both betook ourselves to bed if you find this history amusing i do not ask you to keep it secret now that i have had my amusement out of it it is but just that the public should have its turn for the moment i am only speaking of the story perhaps we shall soon say as much of the heroine <laughs> adieu my chasseur has been waiting for an hour i take only the time to embrace you and to recommend you above all to beware of prevan at the chateau de fifteenth september seventeen letter the seventy-second the chevalier d'ancenis to cecile volange not delivered until the fourteenth oh my cecile how i envy valmont's lot to-morrow he will see you it is he who will give you this letter and i languishing afar from you must drag on my painful existence betwixt unhappiness and regret my friend my tender friend pity my misfortunes above all pity me for your own it is in the face of them that my courage deserts me how terrible it is to me that i should have caused your misfortune but for me you would be happy and tranquil can you forgive me ah, say say that you forgive me tell me also that you love me that you will always love me i need that you repeat it to me it is not that i doubt it but it seems to me that the more sure i am of it the sweeter it is to hear it said you love me do you not yes you love me with all your soul I do not forget that it is the last word I hear you utter. How I have treasured it in my heart! How deeply it is graven there! And with what transports has not mine replied to it! Alas, in that moment of happiness, I was far from foreseeing the awful fate which awaited us. Let us occupy ourselves, my Cecile, with the means of alleviating it. If I am to believe my friend, it will suffice to attain this, that you should treat him with the confidence which he deserves i was grieved i confess at the unfavourable opinion you appear to have had of him i recognised there the prejudices of your mamma it was to submit to them that 
for some time past, I had neglected that truly amiable man who today does everything for me, who, in short, labours to reunite us, whom your mamma has separated. I implore you, my dear friend, look upon him with a more favourable eye. Reflect that he is my friend, that he wishes to be yours, that he can afford me the happiness of seeing you. If these reasons do not convince you, my Cecile, you do not love me as well as I love you, you do not love me as much as you used to love me. Ah, if ever you were to come to love me less! But no, the heart of my Cecile is mine, it is mine for life, and if I have to dread the pain of a love which is unfortunate, her constancy will save me at least from the torments of a love betrayed. Adieu, my charming friend. Do not forget how I suffer, and that it only rests with you to make me happy, completely happy. Hear my heart's vow, and receive the most tender kisses of love. Paris, 11th of September, in 17... Letter the 73rd, the Vicomte de Valmont to Cécile Volange, delivered with the preceding. The friend who serves you knows that you have no writing materials, and he has already provided for this want. You will find in the anteroom of the apartment you occupy, beneath the great press, on the left-hand side, a supply of pens, ink, and paper which he will renew when you require it, and which, so it seems to him, you can leave in the same place if you do not find a surer one. He asks you not to be offended with him if he seems to pay no attention to you in public, and only to regard you as a child. This behaviour seems to him necessary in order to inspire the sense of security of which he has need and to enable him to work more effectively for his friend's happiness and your own he will try to find occasions for speaking with you when he has anything to say or to give to you and he hopes to succeed if you show any zeal to second him he also advises you to return to him successively the letters which you may have received in order that there may be less risk of your compromising yourself he concludes by assuring you that if you will give him your confidence he will take every care to alleviate the persecution that a too harsh mother is using against two persons of whom one is already his best friend whilst the other seems to him worthy of the most tender interest at the chateau de fourteenth september seventeen letter the seventy-fourth the marquise de merteuil to the vicomte de valmont ah since when my friend do you take alarm so easily is this prévan so very formidable then but see how simple and modest am i i have often met him this haughty conqueror i hardly looked at him it required nothing less than your letter to excite that amount of attention from me i repaired my injustice yesterday he was at the opera almost exactly opposite me and i took stock of him 
he is handsome at any rate yes very handsome fine and delicate features he must gain by being seen close at hand and you tell me he wants to have me assuredly it will be my honour and pleasure seriously i have a fancy for it and i now confide to you that i have taken the first steps i do not know if they will succeed thus the matter stands he was not two paces off from me as we came out from the opera and i very loudly made an appointment with the marquise de to sup on friday with the marechal it is i think the only house where i can meet him i have no doubt that he heard me if the ungrateful fellow were not to come but tell me do you think he will come do you know that if he were not to come i should be in a bad humour all the evening you see that he will not find so much difficulty in following me what will more astonish you is that he will have still less in pleasing me he would he said kill six horses in paying his court to me oh i will save those horses lives i shall never have the patience to wait so long a time you know it is not one of my principles to leave people languishing when once i am decided and i am for him please now confess that there is some pleasure in talking reason to me has not your important warning been a great success but what would you have i have been vegetating for so long it is more than six weeks since i permitted myself a diversion this one presents itself can i refuse myself it is not the object worth the trouble is there any more agreeable in whatever sense you take the word you yourself are forced to do him justice you do more than praise him you are jealous of him ah well i will not set up as judge between the two of you but to begin with one should investigate and that is what i want to do i shall be an impartial judge and you shall both be weighed in the same balance as for you i already have your papers and your affair is thoroughly inquired into is it not only just that i should now occupy myself with your adversary come now yield with a good grace and as a commencement let me hear i beg you what is this triple adventure of which he is the hero you speak of it to me as though i knew of nothing else and i do not know the first word of it apparently it must have occurred during my expedition to geneva and your jealousy prevented you from writing to me about it repair this fault at the earliest possible remember that nothing which interests him is alien to me i certainly think that they were still talking of it when i returned but um, i was otherwise occupied and i rarely listen to anything of that sort which is not the affair of to-day or of yesterday even if what i ask of you should go somewhat against the grain is it not the least price you can pay for the pains i have taken for you have these not sent you back to your presidente when your blunders had separated you from her was it not i again who put into your hands the wherewithal to revenge yourself for the bitter zeal of madame de volanges 
you have complained so often of the time you waste in searching after your adventures now you have them under your thumb betwixt love and hate you have but to choose they both lie under the same roof and you can double your existence caress with one hand and strike with the other it is even to me again that you owe the adventure of the vicomtesse i am quite satisfied with it but uh, as you say it must be talked about for if the situation could induce you as i conceive to prefer for a moment mystery to eclat it must be admitted none the less that the woman did not merit so honourable a procedure i have besides cause of complaint against her the chevalier de belleroche finds her prettier than is to my liking and for many reasons i shall be glad to have a pretext of breaking with her now none is more convenient than to be obliged to say one cannot possibly know that woman any longer adieu vicomte remember that situated as you are time is precious i shall employ mine by occupying myself with prevence happiness paris fifteenth of september seventeen letter the seventy-fifth cecile volange to sophie carnet n b in this letter cecile volange relates with the utmost detail all that concerns her in the events which the reader already knows from the conclusion of the fifty-ninth and following letters it seemed as well to suppress this repetition she finally speaks of the vicomte de valmont and expresses herself thus i assure you that he is a most remarkable man Mamma speaks mighty ill of him, but the Chevalier d'Anceny says much in his favour, and I think that he is right. I have never seen a man so clever. When he gave me d'Anceny's letter, it was in the midst of all the company, and nobody saw anything of it. It is true I was terribly frightened, because I had not expected anything, but now I shall be prepared. I have already quite understood what he wants me to do when I give him my answer it is very easy to understand him because he has a look which says anything he wants i don't know how he does it he told me in his note that he would appear not to take any notice of me before mamma indeed one would say all the time that he never thinks of me and yet every time i see his eyes i am sure to meet them at once there is a great friend of mamma's here whom i did not know who also has the air of not loving monsieur de valmont too well although he is full of attentions for her. I am afraid that he will bore himself soon with the life one leads here and go back to Paris. That would be very vexing. He must indeed have a good heart to have come on purpose to do a service to his friend and me. I should much like to show my gratitude to him, but I do not know how to get speech with him, and when I find the occasion I should be so ashamed that perhaps I should not know what to say to him. It is only to Madame de Merteuil that I talk freely when I speak of my love. Perhaps even with you, to whom I tell everything, I should feel embarrassed if we were talking. With Danceny himself I have often felt, as though in spite of myself, a certain alarm which prevented me from telling him all that I thought. 
I reproach myself greatly for this now, and I would give everything in the world to find a moment to tell him once, only once, how much I love him. Monsieur de Valmont promised him that, if I would be guided by him, he would contrive an opportunity for us to see one another again. I will certainly do everything he wants, but I cannot conceive how it is possible. Adieu, my dear friend, I have no more room left. At the Chateau de... 14th of September, 17. Note. Mademoiselle de Volange, having shortly afterwards changed her confidant, as will appear in the subsequent letters, this collection will include no more of those which she continued to write to her friend at the convent. They would teach the reader nothing that he did not know. End of section 15